Anyway, hey, uh, you know what? I can always tell what time of year it is. You know, we're talking about the clock, and uh, I might have a little trouble unless you unless you tell me what's, what time it is, so I'll be asking, or I, I can probably look on here. But, yeah, it's doing pretty good. I've taken 16 seconds so far. How about that? So, but I can tell what time of year it is by the way that I travel here. I can tell it's middle of March because... There's nothing green except a little bit of green on the grass. It's just starting to change. and nothing in the trees yet, but they're getting ready. They're going to bud. And usually by the time we're done, we've got greener grass and we're starting to get something on the trees. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Every year. <laughs> so, you, uh, you guys, thanks a lot for uh, allowing me to be here. And uh, it, uh, as always, is a privilege. Thank you very much. And uh, you know it's always a it's always a trick to try to find out okay well what what kind of material are we going to cover you know we've done some biographies and we've done a little bit of everything and of course I think last year we did the book of First John mm-hmm. and uh, we did we did five chapters in in four weeks that was pretty good mm-hmm. uh, that's pretty amazing <laughs> because usually Dennis and I probably would take a, even a little book like that and normally take it would still take maybe months to get through. But um, we try to hit on the uh, biggest parts. And what I'm impressed with is that you guys actually want expository teaching, which is where I feel best at anyway. And I feel more comfortable being in one spot. I can't go through a book of Ephesians in a matter of weeks. We would be here literally for years because <laughs> to do it right. And I'm sure that you guys in the, in the near future, one of these days, will be covering Ephesians, I understand. So maybe this will get... Just a little glimpse. There's no way that I'm going to cover what all you guys will be covering. But so that's why I'm taking little chunks in chapter two, and then next week chapter three, and then in chapter four. But it's still a topic. But it's a topic within the realm of the uh, the passages that we're dealing with, and it's dealing with the church. And uh, I can't think of a cr- greater creation of God than the church. Uh, it's the people. It's in the church, and His chosen ones are put in that. And uh, what a tremendous thing. He manifests uh, himself uh, through the church today. And it's just incredible. So I thought tonight we would uh, take a look at three images of the church. And uh, it's going to be uh, in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. And we might as well just read that. Ephesians 2, 19-22. Now therefore, you know, uh, are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus in Christ, Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. I think we have quite a picture here of what this is. This is great encouragement. And uh, you're, we were singing the song Little Brown Church in the Veil, and you probably sing a, about, a, about this church, the white church. Uh, hold on, it's not on the corner, but uh, by the highway. <laughs> on a hill or something. And... Uh, of course, I don't know what the cheapest paint is today, but uh, you've got to keep it white, right? I mean, that's that's the way people would think of this. If if it ever was painted, I'm not so sure that the rest of the people that drive by here could handle that. <laughs> They've probably known this for years, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, it represents the, the people that are in it. Now, Paul, like we read Ephesians 2 there, but Paul is building towards a consideration of the church. He just builds up. And in chapter 1, uh, one of the most incredible chapters in all the Bible. I just love Ephesians. And we know that uh, in Ephesians 1, we get quite the blessing there. It's God's plan of salvation from His standpoint, from His viewpoint. Uh, it was before the foundation of the world, as stated. And I take that as a... Uh, quote out of uh, Boyce's commentary on this. But uh, it's dealing with God's electing grace to uh, all the way to the point of the, Jesus Christ being exalted as head over all things of the church, which is His body. Now, in that verse, there in 
22 is the first time church is mentioned in Ephesians, but he's building towards that. He's going to keep building up and building up till we see the uh, most amazing glory of what he's done in uh, the body of Christ. And we'll be touching on that a lot next week, dealing with uh, his whole purpose, the cosmic showcase of, uh, of his church, his chosen people. So what Paul is doing, and of course it's really ultimately about God's glory, isn't it? It's all about God's glory, we know that. It's uh, to exalt Him. But he takes this and shows the glories and the privileges, uh, the advantages of being a member in the body of Christ. Chapter 2 now is going to be dealing with God's plan from man's perspective, shifting a little bit, showing not only how we've been made alive in Christ, as in Ephesians 2, 1, which it says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, we walked according to the prince of the, uh, the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air. Uh, we were uh, depraved. We were by nature children of wrath. And so we see what we once were and we see that we have been brought in to uh, life. We now have been made alive. And now we've been brought into this fellowship. And what he, what he does is he develops it in chapter 2. He takes what we once were. Of course, everybody knows Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We're saved by grace through faith. That not of yourselves. It is a gift to God. And dealing with uh, the workmanship that he's done with us. Then we get into a section that's dealing with 14 through 18. And it's where you have the Jews and the Gentiles. And they've been placed into one body. Now we've heard that. And we know that, but if you were a Jew at that time or if you were a Gentile, that would be quite an incredible statement that these two who hated each other are placed into one body and now they're all of one. And so Paul says that knowing that in Ephesus, which is a Greek city, that um, these, most of these people who were Gentiles in Ephesus were strangers and aliens to the covenant. They were outside the realm of the one true God. And Paul now develops that and he's pointing to this. He's, he's looking up and he's considering the church and he's building up to that point. So he's emphasizing a couple of things here. The first is the greatness of the change uh, of what has happened to each one of us. It's an incredible thing to be dead and dead people uh, are made alive mm-hmm. by God. It's just incredible. And so now the what is now going to be developed is the privilege of the position that we have in being brought into the church. And the Ephesians were this at one time. They were dead. And now, this is what they are. They're the most privileged people in the world in the church. The privilege of that position. And, and that's what we're going to be looking at in the next three weeks. And especially right off the bat here as he draws us pictures He'll give us really great pictures here. Three images. And I think if people would realize this great high calling that we have, the highest calling of anybody in all the world as we're put in this church and have a mission, of course we're here to glorify God, but if we'd realize who we are, as in Ephesians 1, and recognize what He's, what he's done in, in this credible position, choosing us for the foundation of the world that would be holy without blame before Him in love, predestined us to adoption as sons. Uh, chapter 1 just keeps getting stronger and stronger, and Ephesians is just going to keep doing that and getting bigger and bigger to us. If we would realize our high calling, if Christians would do that, sometimes we forget, but if we would recognize it constantly, all day long, all the problems that we have or think we have, would just dwindle down really to nothing. Because it is incredible what has happened to us as we've been placed into this body and recognize who we really are. The first thing that I would like to do with a brand new Christian is disciple them, take them right to Ephesians and say, hey, here's what happened to you. (laughs) Look at this great change. Look at this. This was all done before you were ever even born. Now, um, let's start in uh, verse 19. Now, therefore, and you guys know what the therefore is a therefore, right? Pointing back to where we have been because of this, he's going to bring to conclusion these great statements. What a way to finish up this chapter. Uh, 
You are no longer strangers and foreigners. Talking about the church here, the word church, the very term is not used here, but by these instances and by these pictures, we can definitely say this is the church. This is, this is the body. He says, you are no longer strangers. Or you might have a version that says uh, maybe aliens. Is that possible? Does anybody have aliens? Strangers and aliens. Uh, And you might run into the word foreigner in one of those two words. You might uh, run into the word sojourner. And they're really related, but we'll get into just a slight uh, difference here. Uh, That first term, you're no longer strangers. Uh, aliens xenos and that means one who finds himself in a place where it's not their own country it it is not anything uh, that they can say this is my place I don't have citizenship here I don't possess it it's not really my country Uh, matter of fact these people would be considered the ones that would be living on a passport Matter of fact, they might even have to renew that passport when the time comes up. They're not citizens whatsoever. Uh, they're, they feel like they're a part of it. Even the people that live by them, you know, feel like they're they're a part of it, but they're really not. Uh, so they're kind of a, of a different quality. And he says, "Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers." And I think he'd be referring and and aliens, if we use that term. Um, before he says that's what you were to God's kingdom. We were strangers to that. They were outside the covenant, as a matter of fact. And uh, of course, God made peace with them. But uh, the alien here is saying, "Hey, you uh, were a stranger to the kingdom. You lived as a pagan, but you're no longer." Stranger to the kingdom. And that's the first picture that we're, we're putting up here. The kingdom. Had some kind of a PowerPoint. We could have a big castle up here and having the, the king there and then all the people of the, of the kingdom. But I think Paul uh, brings it forth here. You, you're, not, you're not a stranger uh, anymore to this kingdom that, that God has put forth. Now you might have another word there. And some of them are rearranged and turned around in different translations. And that's why it has always been confusing to me. You know, usually, they will, like if you have a King James and a New King James and an NIV and a New American Standard and what have you, those two words would be in some kind of an order. They would always be identical. And you could you know, you'd go to your Greek text and take that. Well, these are kind of flip-flops sometimes. Uh, the word here for my, in my New King James, you're no longer strangers, you're no longer foreigners. Foreigners, foreigner or a sojourner. Uh, the word is par oikos, and so we take that technical Greek word and you take par. Para means what? Alongside, parallel, and oikos is dealing with house. Uh, so what do you have here? Uh, alongside a house. These people would be considered to be living along their neighbors, alongside of them. They're not of their own kind, though. They're there living along with them, but they're not of the same kind. Or they could be considered to be living outside the city limit, just outside the wall. Uh, They're living alongside with them, but they're not part of it. So we take the word foreigner and aliens or sojourners and strangers, those two words... They're different, but they're close. And we see how they come together in this. This is what you once were. You were uh, really a, a stranger. You were a foreigner. Uh, you, you, you weren't a part of us. You were not citizens. So he says, that's no longer what you are, but you are fellow citizens with the saints with the saints, fellow members with the saints. Now it's a fellow citizen. In this picture, we're taking a kingdom or a city-state. In the Roman Empire, you had city-states, like Ephesus would be its own kind of city-state. It had its own governing rule. And um, so he's comparing that. Paul knew that. That was part of the culture. And he says, okay, um, this is what you are. You are now 
fellow citizens, you are a membership of this kingdom or this city-state. You, uh, and he's talking about the kingdom of God, obviously. Look in Philippians chapter 3.20. You get a correlating verse there dealing with citizenship. Probably be familiar. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly, eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are citizens of heaven. We have dual citizenship. We have privileges. We're citizens right here in uh, this country. That's our citizenship. But there's something that is eternal that's even better. (laughs) Citizenship in heaven. And that's what we are. Fellow citizens with the saints. Do you like that? That's why we can feel like we are together. I don't just live alongside with you and uh, and, and I'm foreign to you. We are all... Um, we're citizens together in this kingdom. Isn't that great? I don't feel like a, a second class citizen or uh, shifted away from you guys. You guys are related to me. We, same citizen. Uh, so, that's what Paul is doing comparing this church to this, uh, this great state empire or kingdom. I, I think of uh, Exodus 19. Uh, there is Moses and Israel. And it's the chapter before you get the Ten Commandments. In 19, he, uh, he's at Sinai and he tells them that they are going to be a kingdom of priests. They're going to be a holy nation. Now, you, you catch where that's at? Have you heard that before? Does it sound familiar? That's what he does in Exodus 19. I know I had you turn there, but what I'm going to do now is go all the way back to the other side, go to First Peter. And Peter picks up on this in chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. And here's the fulfillment of that. That was to the nation of Israel. Uh, but now Peter picks up on what was in the Old Testament from Moses and says, this is us. This is the church now. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who were once not a people not citizens, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. There's the ultimate fulfillment. We are um, part of this nation. We are His people. We're people together in the kingdom. So, how He treats us in this kingdom is the way that He treats His Son. Amazing thing that he would, what he would think of us, you know, uh, it's just, just incredible. I think of Romans chapter eight, seventeen. Good edifying stuff, isn't it? When you think about the position and what he's done for us, and he says in eight seventeen, if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. And you're going to prove it by, if indeed we suffer with Him, <laughs> that we may also be glorified together. Uh, anyway, a uh, beautiful picture there showing that uh, the way that He treats His Son is the way that He's going to treat us. We are heirs of this great God. And we're joint heirs of Christ. Wow. And you know that Paul gave this message to Jewish audience and Gentile audience from the Scriptures and like you were alluding to earlier, it would be a shocker for the Jewish nation. What? They'd, They'd always heard it. They would have probably been mad, like they were. Many were the leaders, you know, because they're saying, "Wait a second, we're the chosen people. What's the deal on this?" You know. They'd be ready to run Paul right on out of the synagogue, oh, yeah. wouldn't they? Oh yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Stoning him for blasphemy or whatever. You know. Well, you, you can imagine saying things like that. You know, hey, if I say this, this is what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and it. Well, <laughs> it did. But many people grasp that and they go, oh wow, that's what that means. 
Well, when you think of the kingdom, you have to think back in the past. And of course, you, you know, you, you bring in the Judaism here. You think of the Old Testament theocracy. That's really how it's ruled. Uh, of course, ultimately, it was really God was the king, but the people said, well, we want a king just like all the other nations. He said, oh, do you really? I'll give you a king. Of course, the king then uh, came into place and God appointed that king. But at the same time, we know they, uh, they paid their taxes because a king came in, as God said would happen. And uh, of course, they had many bad kings. And uh, as usual, that's the way it's going to be. But it was really a theocracy that uh, it had started out. It was God's rule over Israel. And uh, God had a kingdom of priests. They were royal. And it's really pointing to Christ. He is the king, the priest, right? And, and the prophet. But they were to be a holy nation. Only because God is the one who's going to make them holy. At least the ones who are believers. It, then you take that into the present time period. Uh, let's take it to John the Baptist. Uh, go back to Matthew chapter 3. Verse 2. John the Baptist talked about the kingdom. Talked about a king coming. Matthew 3 2, it says, uh, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying it's present, it's right here. Uh, it's Christ, <laughs> really, it's, a, it's the Messiah. Uh, and he, of course, he quotes out of Isaiah, and in verse 3, we see the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. He knew that he was preparing that way for the Messiah to come. And um, before too long, we will hear, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So the Lord is coming. The Messiah is there. The, the kingdom is at hand. Jesus goes around preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. Matter of fact, Jesus even said, The kingdom of God is within you. I mean, He's present. He's standing right here with you. What is the kingdom of God? Uh, look in Luke seventeen, twenty-one. Verse 20, uh, Now when he had asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you, uh, within the people's hearts. Uh, I don't think it was really saying it was in the Pharisees right there. We have a general statement, but he's saying, hey, I'm here. The kingdom of God is going to be something that is a spiritual sense. It's not the kingdom that you're thinking of, right? The way that they would uh, would have done. Uh, go to Romans 14, 17. Later on, as Paul writes, so our first picture, we're dealing with kingdom, right? So we look at certain passages to kind of help let us get a glimpse of that. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's us. There is the kingdom now and the kingdom not yet. Right now, we have we are in the kingdom. We as, as, as Christians have been transferred into the kingdom. And I think, uh, uh, what is it, Colossians. Colossians 1.13. He transferred us, or delivered us, from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood. So we are in that kingdom now. There's, there is the fulfillment where we'll literally be in uh, the kingdom uh, in a physical sense, but spiritually we are already there. We live in this kingdom and we're subject to the king, right? We are, we are uh, underneath the king. And, and we're slaves. We're uh, servants of this king. We're a colony of heaven even while we live here on earth. Boy, if we could think of that sometimes. We're representing the kingdom. <laughs> we really are representing the king. We're citizens of heaven. Citizens of the kingdom. And it's a kingdom that cannot be shaken or destroyed. I think in the future, uh, Jesus prayed the prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. It's 
we're talking there of a future sense that is that utter fulfillment. What's the privilege of being in a kingdom? Well, first of all, we have a great king. We have a king of kings, the Lord of lords. That's quite a privilege. We are on the winning side. Perfect. Couldn't uh, ask for anything more. Headquarters is in heaven. Couldn't be at a better place. Won't be destroyed there. Uh, just think of the company of people that uh, you're with. And I have to think of not only Paul and uh, Timothy and some of these guys that we see mentioned here, John the Baptist even, you know. But, but, but think along as, as the church was being built. Think of Augustine during the... Uh, you think of the early church fathers and then Augustine. Then you think of the Reformation. You have to think of, of course, Luther and Calvin and Knox and Zwingli and then on through the Puritan age, whether it be a Jonathan Edwards or such, and right on up into our time now, and all of these guys um, have been placed into this body just like us. And we're equal with them. That's a, quite a thought. The future will be perfect, and we will have access to the King like we already have access, but we will have access in a more clearer way. We see now what? Dimly? One day, we will see it so clear. Now, that's the kingdom. But we have to move on to something even better. See, each one of these pictures gets better as we proceed. You like to get better? You say, what's better than being in the kingdom? Well, that's fine, and that's good. I like it. But the next one is the family. It's an illustration of the family. We did start Ephesians, right? Somewhere right? Okay. Right in the same, same verse here. After saying, we're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Now, we're going to go to number two already in the first verse that we're reading here. Verse 19. And members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Uh, let's stop there. Actually, we should just stop right. Members of the household of God. Number two, the family. Members of God's household. We're not only in the kingdom, but we're getting a little closer here. I wouldn't mind if that's the way it was, was just to be in the kingdom. But God says, no, no, that's something better. You get to eat at my table. You get to be in my household. What's he getting at here? Well, the word is oikos. Uh, oik. Oikeos, I guess is the right pronunciation, but that's the household. That would take in, in the, in the Greek time, that would take in not only father, mother, brothers and sisters, uh, it would also take in servants and uh, people who helped. There was a lot of slaves back at that time. I think at least half the population or maybe more were slaves. Uh, you, you would have uh, uh, workers, that would be considered a household. I think Paul, what he's really establishing here is something that's even more closer though. I think he's talking about when we think of a family uh, of blood related in uh, that sense. Because we know that Jesus talked about being born again. And in John 3, 7, if you're in a family, you have to be born into that family, right? Well, Jesus speaks to Nicodemus and He says in verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. They cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. We are brought into the family. Uh, There's a continuity of nature. We now have the nature... We're not God, but we have His nature as Peter talks about. Uh, We now uh, are a new person. Our nature that was depraved has been changed. It's gone. It's done away with. We have a new nature. Uh, We're born into this. Look in 1 Peter 1.23. Peter talks about this being born again also. I like what he does here. Because it shows the action of God. Gives God all the glory. 
verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible. How? Through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. We were born again. He made us born again. And He put us into His family. That means we're born into this, this nature that uh, is now a godly nature. Um, boy, this, the privileges now start building up. It's even higher than, than the kingdom because we start seeing the relationships. If you're in a kingdom, you live alongside now people who you uh, recognize as being part of the citizenship, Right? Now, you're, you weren't that, and now you are. Okay, well, that's pretty good. Good to have good neighbors, right? Good to have people you know, you're friendly with, you sit and talk with. But now we're talking about a network here of brothers and sisters in Christ. We are related. We are, and in one sense, I, I, think, I think you can say by nature, we are related. We're probably more related in the body of Christ than we are related just to our brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, unless they're Christians. And we're related to them even on a higher basis. It's nice. I love families. I don't run them down at all. But this is even better. This is the eternal thing here. Uh, we also share in, in the protection of prayers. You guys are praying for people. Some of the people are not even here, but you're praying for them. They may not. They may know it. May not. But when you ever notice how people um, respond when you tell them, "Hey, we were praying for you," and they go, oh, "Really? Thanks a lot." That's only brothers and sisters in, in Christ really do that. They really care. You know, who knows what's going on with them? From serious health things to just little praises or. Whatever's going on, it's great to be in contact. And the, and the, and the crazy story about the dog, you know, and we all laugh, but that, they're part of our family. You know, and you go, oh, that's really cool. That's, and we're for them. Great. I'm glad that came about because we're related. It's good. I like that. You know, I was thinking about this when you're talking about this section of Scripture, too. The Lord's Supper we celebrated today, so it kind of reminds me of that, too, because we know it's for members only, or better yet, for family only. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all part of the family, so just think about that present practice of a future reality with Christ in the household of faith. And it's just pretty cool with this. That's good. This would be a good lead for it before the Lord's Supper. That's right. It sure would. A great text, wouldn't it? Anytime. So about the church family. Yeah, Lord's Supper is one of the best illustrations. It's a picture, isn't it, uh, of how we relate to each other. Beautiful. Great thing. We say we are related by blood. Yes, blood of Christ. Blood of Christ. Exactly. You betcha. You know it. That's even better. Oh, I like it. Just to think, we'll be running into. I don't know how it's going to work. We'll we'll be running into each other, you know, in eternity, and you know, <laughs> how's it work? I don't know. Boy, I'm excited. You know, I think about that. But even right now, as, as we stand here, we're related. Very much related. And, and, and Dennis, actually, my next point was communion and baptism. No, I'm sorry. No, no well, that, that was it. That was perfect timing. That's exactly where it's like-minded brothers. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? But uh, I don't know if I put these on your outline. I, uh, I think I ran out of space on the page, so I had to do some cutting and chopping and editing there, so sorry about that. But... Uh, I'm just giving some of the... There are many more than what I put down here anyway. I just have like about six of them. Uh, Another one is we we all have a place in God's plan as being in this family. Uh, He has, as as a father, he has things for his sons and daughters to do and how we fit right now, right on in through eternity. Uh, We have access to God as a father, not only as a king, but don't you feel a little bit closer when he is also mentioned as the Father. I mean, we, we have to see him as king. You know, We must see him as high and holy and lifted up and exalted. But sometimes it's nice to just kind of run into the arms of the Father. You know, especially when, when you really <laughs> need some comforting. And uh, so it's good to look at him as that way. Um, I think the braided, that, that's just a, a great privilege. Uh, well, you know what? We've done two. Pictures already in one verse. We have one picture left, one illustration. And it's even better. 
And so, how can I get better than the family? Well, I don't know one is better than another here, but it just kind of helps us maybe develop this as we do it. Paul just can't get enough of talking about the church. You ever notice that? He loves to talk about the church. And I know, I always have to mention, I know there's a lot of spots and wrinkles on the church right now. And sometimes it doesn't look so good. But I'll tell you what, God is the one that's building it. He does not make mistakes. Everyone He puts into there is perfectly fit. And it's being built up. And one of these days we know, as the bride, there's another illustration, there will not be spots or wrinkles or anything in, in the bride. Perfect. Only because of Christ. Okay, verse 20 and 21. I like expository when we don't have too many verses to cover. I'm not going to run out of time this time, right? Not bad. But we might have a little bit more on that. We went by awfully quick on the first two points. Okay. (laughs) The temple. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets... Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Oh, He's right in the middle of all of this. He always is. Paul always puts Him in the middle. In whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We've been put in the kingdom. We've been put in the household of God. And now, he uses this uh, picture of a temple. And he starts with a foundation. You know, uh, a temple has to have a house, a building has to have a foundation. So it's okay, you have a foundation. That means it has to have strength and durability to be able to stand. Uh, building rests on this foundation. Jesus, we know, is the foundation. But the apostles and prophets are too. Because they have been deposited the teaching that's going to be the foundation of what the rest of the church is going to be built upon. If you remember in the book of Acts chapter 2, people gathered daily. And what did they gather around? The apostles' doctrine. That's what it starts off. Of course, we know that they the breaking of bread, fellowship, Prayer, right? But that the the main thing that that put them all together was the very word of God, um, and so the apostles and prophets are the ones who delivered that. What is an apostle? Well, he's one who is sent. Uh, he had to be a witness to the resurrection, right? And he also was one that was called and sent by the Lord Himself. And so these were guys who were around at that time. We don't have apostles today uh, because that's the very foundation of everything that's built upon. You don't need the foundation. It's been done. We have the Word of God. It's been completed. So they uh, they put that together. Go to 1 Corinthians. Uh, go back to Matthew 16 first. And we know that, first of all, it's going to be dealing with Jesus or uh, the deposit of His truth. Uh, Confession of Peter that that's still based on truth. And this is probably uh, interpreted in, in different ways, but I can see how some of those things really come into play with all this. Uh, Sixteen eighteen says, uh, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, this massive big cliff rock, uh, I will build my church. There's the word church, ecclesia, the called out ones. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. This great rock. I'm going to build it on this. This, this, uh, on upon this truth here that we have. I think we could say a lot of different uh, ideas. Is that what you you teach there, Dennis? Yeah, when I teach, as a matter of fact, we're going to be covering this pretty quickly Good. here in the next couple of weeks. But where it says, "I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church." If you look at it in the context 16. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Solomon by Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in the heaven. And I tell you, Peter, on 
this rock, which was his confession, I'm mm-hmm. building the church. Mm-hmm. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I give you peace. But, you know, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's, That's what the whole confession. church is built on. So there you have Christ himself, right. or this truth that uh, that he is. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, is that where you... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I definitely don't... Uh, See it as uh, Peter being the rock, <laughs> as the I guess the Roman Catholic Church uh, would say that he is the foundation there. Uh, that uh, it's exactly what you say. It's uh, he made this great confession of, of, of Christ, and uh, Christ is the the center of all this anyway, isn't it? Paul can't say enough about Christ. Now go to First Corinthians chapter three, verse eleven. There it's talking about. Um, there are different people in the church who differ, who do different things. And in... Did I say verse 11, right? Um, I'm going to start at 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. That's Paul using that building again. According to the grace of God, notice he emphasizes that, the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation... And another builds on it. Whenever he went into, let's say, the city of Corinth, he builds a foundation based upon the gospel truth. He says he knew nothing else but what? (laughs) The gospel. Uh, And that was laying the foundation. And and so somebody else comes along and and then you have another pastor, but they build upon the truth that he laid down there. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So there again, it's all going to come back to Christ Himself. But Paul is one who laid that by by God's grace. And uh, Peter laid uh, that. Um, James, John, other apostles laid down that foundation by giving this truth, the truth of the New Testament, New Covenant, uh, it was uh, in correlation with the Old Testament, but there was new revelation coming out at that time. And so that's that's what they did. Of course, you have to think of, um, that's our, our Ephesians 2.20, uh, which I always refer to whenever I hear somebody claiming to be an apostle. You test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And I say, wait a minute, how can we have apostles today? In Jeff City, there are people that I know of that say they're apostles. And their church is an apostolic church. Uh, but I have to ask, well, didn't apostles, didn't that time period pass away by the end of the first century? Uh, the last apostle that died was John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. In Revelation it says, uh, Cursed is anyone who adds to or takes away from this book, this revelation. And John, being that last apostle, uh, was the end of the apostolic age. The foundation was already laid at that time and we didn't need more revelation. I'm glad we don't. Otherwise, we'd have to add on to Revelation uh, chapter 22, as I always say. But this is a verse that I always key in on because it's ridiculous to have the foundation and have a building and then have a foundation up here on the top floor, isn't it? <laughs> and that's what uh, people have done. Twenty centuries later they have uh, since the ni- 1900s they started doing the apostolic age again but um, no need it's, it's been done so the New Testament was given through the apostles the basic uh, uh, the unity of the truth sound doctrine and here is based on the person and work of Jesus Christ Ephesians chapter 3 verse 5 which in other ages, talking about the mystery of God, was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. Well, what's a prophet? Well, prophet is the one who proclaims God's truth. You can have uh, in the sense of prophets today in the sense of one who's proclaiming God's truth, but are they giving new revelation? Well, back then, sometimes they would get new revelation. And so there were need for the apostles and prophets, uh, what have you, and, and put this uh, New Testament together. Uh, but it means uh, a foretelling, really, to, to do a prophecy. If you look at 1 Corinthians 14, it's foretelling. It's not, for, not necessarily always foretelling, telling the future. We usually think of prophets as that. 
it was, it was a hard time for me to get over that. I said, well, prophet, it means to prophesy, to tell something that would be later on in the future. But usually, and in the Old Testament that would happen, and even in the New, but usually it means to proclaim, to proclaim, foretell God's Word. So in the sense, when this morning, when you had uh, proclaiming of the truth, that would, in a sense, be a, a prophesying as in a 1 Corinthians 14 setting. But there was a time for these guys. You guys have probably touched on this much, but anyway. Chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Uh, cornerstone, it binds the foundation, right? It, bound, it, it Matter of fact, it binds the walls. It was the chief uh, major point. And boy, if you have any problem with this one, you're in trouble. Everything is supported by this chief cornerstone when they would build that. Oh, you have to think of the Old Testament on this. When Paul says this, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, I wonder what he was thinking of when he said that. He might have been thinking Isaiah 28. 16? Maybe. He doesn't say, as quoted out of Isaiah, but uh, that was a famous verse, and it's about uh, the Messiah. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Reminds me of Leon Patillo. Why did I think of that? Does anybody remember that one? Do you remember that one? Do you remember that song? A sure foundation? Leon Patillo. I'm showing my age here. Huh. Okay. Uh, Psalms says the same thing. Psalm 118. I'll just save time and say, just believe me. No. <laughs> Matthew 21, I think we get the, the same kind of sense. Um, Peter says that too. He takes a direct quote. 1 Peter 2, 6 through 8. I think we even were in that area while we go. Uh, anyway, he wants to emphasize. Christ is the one in the middle of all this. The apostles were given a great duty, a great gifts that they had to be able to lay this truth down. Aren't you glad that we can sit here and just turn to anything where we want? We have the freedom to do this, to meet here tonight, to be able to talk about God all we want, and to mention Jesus Christ of all things, and not even be arrested yet. <laughs> but, I mean... Every time that you look at Paul's writings, he's going to plug Christ into there somewhere. He's so Christ-centered, focused on Him. Um, but you know, any time he puts the uh, apostles and prophets doing something, he still has to put Christ over them, doesn't he? Just in case we have you ever heard that story about when they were building the temple that they had the stone, the cornerstone set up? And then they threw it to the side. Somebody just didn't recognize it as a cornerstone. They just thought it was just another stone. And then they were kept building up. Somebody was like, where's this cornerstone? We need that cornerstone. And everybody's like, oh, that's the one we threw, just threw the toss to the side. Yes. And then they went and put Have you ever heard that? I think I have. Yeah. You know, and just kind of interesting. That's how people are with Christ. You know, they just yeah. kind of toss them to the side. And it's such a miserable picture. I just... Right. And that was <laughs> it's a precious yeah. cornerstone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well that's what they do. That's what they do with it. Yep. Well, uh, the last part of this then in whom the whole building being fitted together on this cornerstone grows into a holy temple. Have you ever heard of a building growing? <laughs> and now he gets into... seems like he's confused here. Uh, Paul's not confused because the Spirit's inspiring him. But, you know, he used the analogy of a body, like the body of Christ, like the church, and how it is an organism, and it's not an organization, and how it will grow. Well, this building is an organism <laughs> that actually grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And so we talked about the chief cornerstone. We have to talk about the pieces also that go into this <clears throat> temple, this building. And it's the living stones, as, as Peter talks about in 1 Peter 2.5. This, uh, this word here is soon arma legao. And soon means together with. And you point, it's a three-part word in the Greek. 
So it means to be with, and it means, or, or together, it means a joint, and to be put closely, or, or to be picked out. There we go, there we go, got to put that in there. It means to be picked out, to be joined closely together. Now are we getting the point? And taking that little analogy that we're doing the chief cornerstone, um, there are stones that the builder will have stones and he picks out the right one, the perfect one to be put right here. I mean, if you want to take a picture of it, you know, and then he picks out. And, he, and there are other stones that he doesn't pick, but the ones that he wants, and he's, of course, he's going to do some chiseling on them, outside, away from the temple. And whenever it goes into the building, it's ready. <laughs> anyway, um, chosen. First Peter two five. I've got to go there just for a moment because Peter compliments Paul here. There's another group. Okay. I don't know how Mary fit into that. Peter and Paul. Okay. Oh, first. Did I say first Peter? Right. Of course I did. Why did I go to second Peter? Two five. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, there goes Peter again, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is how we can worship. We're put into the temple. We don't go to temple. We are the temple. Individually and as the corporate body. As in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6, you get it where you each one is a temple, and then the whole body of Christ is a temple. And so, uh, Peter says, we are living stones. Uh, we are chosen and shaped for that position. He does it. He does the work. He chose us out. This is a great architect. That's a great architectural word that Paul uses, being fitted together. Paul was quite the smart man. And he knew a lot of things but I think he knew things really well because maybe he studied, but the Holy Spirit uh, allows him to take what he had learned in his lifetime and to be put it into application. And he uses a precise term, being fitted together, that three-part word, to pick out, to be joined, to be joined closely together. And we fit into this. Chosen and shaped for our position. He deliberately individually selected each one of you so that this temple would be perfectly made. Wow. In fact, he continues to do that. He's still doing it. Because not only from the standpoint of choosing in salvation, but even placing people in the body of Christ in each individual congregation. Who does that? Scripture says it's the Holy Spirit. Beautiful. So he's still building. Yep. It's not done yet. Not done. <clears throat> and and you reach back into time and you think of all those guys if you were to 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 look back and uh I guess you could think uh he added Luke and Lydia. You ever think of Lydia? Mm-hmm. Uh Philemon. But some of those names, you know, are kind of a little bit more foreign to us. We don't hear them quite as much and you think of the Ephesians here. Hey, listen. <laughs> Can you imagine talking with those guys? You know, they were put in there, and of course, the early church fathers. And you think of the Reformation time period up to present, and even in the future, the building is still going up to the very ones that uh, he had chosen, and were placed in relationship to Christ, being fitted together. Uh, the whole building being fitted together grows in the holy temple in the Lord. He's already talked about this chief cornerstone. So uh, we're chosen in shape. We're placed into position in relationship to Christ. And there are different shapes. There are different sizes because you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and you learn about all the different gifts or in Romans 12 or in other places. And it shows that we're, uh, we are in unity, but we are diverse. And every one of us is a spiritual snowflake. 
Every snowflake is always different. That's what I understand. I haven't checked them all out, but that's what I've been told. I believe it. Because <laughs> God makes those snowflakes to be all different because they are really cool to make. <laughs> he enjoys it. And we do too sometimes, except when we get 24 inches. <laughs> Differently shaped, different sizes, not identical whatsoever, not in uniform, and we're linked to one another, fitly framed together is the idea. Uh, another one is that we we all contribute here to this great building. Um, well, let's look at Second Corinthians six sixteen. How are we doing on time, Dennis? I bet you we're real close. Yeah, you got six minutes. You're good. Oh man, this is beautiful. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> we're right there. Six sixteen. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? It's Paul scolding the Corinthians again here. Boy, I wonder what it's going to be like to meet a Corinthian. Yeah, I was from the Corinthian church. <laughs> it's okay now. Hey, you'll probably forget that kind of thing. I don't know. <laughs> For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. He says, the temple? Yeah, it's the people. The believers. You you there in Corinth? (laughs) What are you doing messing with this idolatry? Why are you going over there to their temple? Or why are you even thinking about it? You are the temple of the living God. Not of those gods that they make with their hands. You are. Oh. And another privilege of this is it's a long construction plan. God has been doing this for uh, quite some time. He's making it perfect. He's fashioning it. He's preparing it. And another thing about it, it's mysterious. You know, we're trying to, you know, I like to think black and white and I can get a handle on it and be able to understand everything. It's all right here. But like everything, like the Trinity, can you really understand the depths of the Trinity? You can get a handle on it, but after that, it goes into eternity. It's almost all the doctrines are that way. You only go so, you know, the providence of God. How do you understand all that? Do you believe it? Yeah. But how much of it do we really understand? We'll learn more and more as eternity goes through. But it's mysterious. You go back to 1 Kings 6 7. I think this is really interesting. Just one verse here. Just this one verse, and then we're done for this week. 1 Corinthians 6 7. They're building the temple. Solomon is building the temple. 1 Kings. If I said that right, I hope so. And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. Since we're talking about temple, might as well go back to that. They built that temple. Each stone that was put in there was already done before it was put in. It was already been chosen, chiseled out, and put there. Um, as I was reading uh, Boyce, there was, uh, might have been Lloyd-Jones, and they said, I know of no other building that's ever been built like this where you have all of, of these great big stones. We're not talking just bricks here. We're talking about stones or huge stones. You know, and it's not little bitty stones like that. We're talking huge, you know, massive type. To be, to be placed in a way like that. And it's still a mystery of how they were even able to do that. The technology that they had to get them there. It's, you know, we're not talking about, well, let's take a couple of guys and take, take this up there now. <laughs> These are massive. What a, what a temple it was. Um, you have another picture of the election. There you go again. You see it all over the place. Paul's already talked about it and it's still there. God chose the stone and had it all chiseled out to fit perfectly even before it placed in the building. That's right. And they wouldn't be doing it on the site. Right? Master plan. I think so. I think master plan. There you go. The master builder. It's not, not done. Um, 
when you think of it, they were silently added. You know, we don't know what's going on in a, in a human's mind. You know, you all have had visitors at your church. They're here, and, and then, then they're not. They visit. Then you might see them a couple years later, and they visit again. You might be dealing with. It seems like there's something happening with them, and all of a sudden, nothing. Maybe ten years later, something does happen. Or there's somebody that doesn't seem like they're paying attention at all. And, I mean, their life has just been a, a, a mess. They've been to prison. They've been alcoholics, taking every drug there is possible. And they just, they just show up and they said, Yeah, um, the Lord worked in my heart a couple days ago. And uh, He made me a, a Christian. You know? It just came out of the blue. You don't know what's going on in, in a person's heart. It can be really quiet sometimes, but God is doing His thing. Maybe it is kind of in a quiet place far away and all of a sudden, boom, does this. It's mysterious. And just like He says in John 3, the Spirit flows where it wishes. So, Holy Spirit has made us a dwelling place. He dwells in this temple. The Holy Spirit, God, dwells in this temple. He takes up residence. You know what? I think we finished that section. Is it right at it? <laughs> you did good. One minute. I went a little bit longer than what I probably should.